Hi everyone, this is Aaron. I am the social media manager for Sola Network and I'm trying to go live today with Alicia Aikens. She is the author of this book, Invitations to Abundance. I reviewed it on Sola Network and I wanted to try to talk to her about this book. Oh, Alicia, I see you right there. I'm going to get you in on this video and we'll get going. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Hi, Alicia. Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Hey, is there, um, is there something blocking the microphone on your... Oh, there you go. Potentially my hand. That that's one hundred percent better. Okay, great. <laughs> hey, thanks for making the time to do this. Yeah. Um, I, I guess people don't know this, but um, but you're normally we would have a time difference, <laughs> but uh, you you happen to be in, I guess the area, so <laughs> we can make this happen. Thank you for yeah. coming on to talk. Yeah. Um, I want to steward our time well today, so we'll just get cut to the chase. I loved your book. Um, oh, thanks. Thank you for sending it to us. And um, I reviewed it on Solo Network. Everybody can give it a read there. Um, I'll be sure to put the link in. But your book is Invitations to Abundance, How the Feasts of the Bible Nourish Us Today, uh, published by Harvest House Publishers. Um, and before I talk about your book, though, reading your bio, it says that you were working in Asia for five years and you consider yourself, uh, I guess, a, a recovering expat based in DC. Um, can you tell me about your time in Asia? Yeah, so um, I lived in, I moved to China after college mm -hmm. and I lived in China for three years and I lived in three different cities. So I lived in Shanghai my first year. I lived in the Gobi Desert my second year. And then I moved to Qingdao, which is, um, if you've had Chinese beer, um, <laughs> you might be familiar with Qingdao. That's where the beer is from. And then I came back to the States, got my master's degree in China studies. And then I moved to Southeast Asia, as one does after getting their master's in China <laughs> studies. And um, I lived in Laos for two years, um, working at a museum. Um, and so that, those are the five years that I spent living in Asia, but I really loved it. Like I had a really, really, really wonderful time there. Very formative for me as a Christian, as a human. Um, yeah, I loved my experience there. Can we talk about that? How did you get, what, what, why is China studies? Let's just start from there. Yeah, so um, I studied music in college okay. and I thought I was going to be a music teacher or I also really liked doing campus ministry. So I thought maybe I'll do campus ministry. Right. Um, and the church I was attending in college was very much uh, missions focused. And so I had read a lot of missionary biographies about China and things like that. And so I thought, well, maybe I will... Um, give this a try. I mean, that's a very long story short. I was very against the idea of going to China originally. I called it the instant conversation killer. Mm. I had a, a friend who brought it up often and I just was like, I, I'm i black, there aren't black people in China. I don't speak the language. Like, this doesn't really seem like my scene. Um, but I 
learned about ethnic diversity in China, that there's minorities there, and that was really intriguing to me. So I um, decided to give it a try, and that's how I ended up in the Gobi Desert, because there, were, um, there was a school out there for ethnic minorities, sort of like a Chinese HBCU, but um, a little bit different. So I was really curious about that, that aspect of Chinese culture. Um, but um, thanks to the convincing of a friend, that's how I ended up there in the first place. And I was pretty ignorant about Asian culture um, before that. And I, I made some pretty ignorant comments in the beginning of my time there. Mm -hmm. But the longer I stayed, I just fell in love with the culture, with even learning about the diversity of the region. Um, you know, how China and Korea and Japan are different from each other and how the, the Northeast Asia sort of region is very different from other parts of Asia and just um, having my assumptions about the region uh, challenged uh, was a really enriching and rewarding experience for me. And yeah. so I knew I wanted to study more. So I came back and I thought I want to teach people about this part of the world in some way especially black people if I can, because I know there's so little connection between um, black people and Asian people, it seems. So I really wanted to do something that would help get, um, raise people's awareness about the region and everything beautiful that I loved about it. Um, so that's why I came back into grad school focusing on China. I also focused on museums. Um, and so, cause I thought museums are a good place to sort of like educate the low, not the lowest common denominator, but like you can get into museums for free and you don't have to like pass an entrance exam. Right, right, uh, right. And so that was sort of my focus. And that's how I ended up moving to Southeast Asia when I finished because there was a museum job in Laos. Uh, so I worked at a museum there for a couple of years when I, after grad school. Man, what a journey. What a yeah. journey. I, I read a little bit about your journey, I think from your blog. Um, Feet Cry Mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's oh. mercy.com, right? Yes, so, exactly. Um, yeah, I know you shared a little bit of your story there, but it's such a it's such a great story. And like, I don't know, it's amazing how God just kind of uh, guides our paths, literally, yeah. you know? Um, and maybe we can talk about this later when we when we dive into your book and, and God's calling for the nations, I guess, you know, to, to feast together. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I wanted to talk about your book. Um, and one, the first thing I guess that, that we can talk about is, um, what, what gave you the idea for, for this book? Like why, what is it about the, the fe biblical feasts that intrigued you? I mean, honestly, that's a nerdy type of thing, right? So like, I, I love that type of stuff. Um, and I, I just want to know, like, what, what was you, what, what made you look into this type of thing? Yeah, uh, that's funny. You called it a nerdy kind of thing. I, I love it. I love it. It's, <laughs> such, it's so awesome. Um, it, so it actually, like, long story short, came, the book's idea developed out of a period of personal scarcity. Mm. I had been living in D.C. for about two years, uh, and then I lost my job. Okay. And I was out of work for about a year and a half. And I really grappled during that time with... Um, what does it mean that all of the promises of God are still true for me in this period where it seems like nothing is working as I would like to? What does it mean that God is enough when it seems like I don't have enough? Um, and how, like, how does the abundant life um, kind of jive with my current experience of scarcity? Mm. And um, so during that time, 
there were a couple of months that I couldn't pay rent on my own. Um, my church paid my rent one month and my mom paid my rent another month. And then um, there was one month in particular, I didn't have enough money for food. And I was kind of just scrounging around my house for coins and stuff like that to buy uh, junk food at the dollar store because it was cheap there. Oh, my goodness. And um, at the end of that month, it was in November, um, I had just gotten my first unemployment check and my um, credit card security had been compromised. So I had, I had gone to the grocery store to get like my one contribution to a friend's Friendsgiving. And my card got like declined because there had been like a security breach and I was like, I haven't had any money like this whole month and oh, I finally no. money, my card doesn't work. Yeah. And so I get to my, like, I called my card company. They let me make that one purchase. And then I had, they like shut my card down after that um, mm. and sent me a new one. But when I got to the dinner at my friend's house, he asked everyone around the table, what makes you feel rich? Mm -hmm. And, um, it wasn't a kind of Sunday school answer. I think maybe in other times of my life, I would have answered like mm -hmm. God and not really understood what that meant. Sure. Or just said it as like a, a right kind of answer. But I really felt like as I was thinking about all of the stuff I didn't have, yeah. that, um, that God really did make me rich. Yeah. And um, that same friend the next year asked me if I would write a blessing for his Thanksgiving. Okay. I was taking Hebrew at the time and also yeah. reading Jeremiah. And there's a passage that says, I will feast the souls of the priests with uh, abundance. Mm. And so I started to um, look into what does it mean to feast someone's soul and mm. why this imagery? Why would God choose to feast anyone's soul? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. And so that's sort of how I begun my exploration of the imagery of feasting in the Bible. And then as I continued to read, I continued to see it pop up in different places. Right. And that, and then when I was approached about writing a book, I thought, oh, this is an idea that I'd like to continue exploring. So yeah, let's talk about that writing process. So it sounds like you already started, like kind of having the idea in your mind. Did you actually have to do a lot more research into this? Or did you feel that like, oh, you kind of know the way this this biblical theology is going to plan out research research and more research okay. um i i i was sort of familiar with after like reading familiar with um where the topic came up mm -hmm. um i mean i had to do some research even on some other of uh, the less uh, commonly known feasts, like in the uh, the one from the chapter Nehemiah. Hmm. Nehemiah, like that section of the Bible, I feel like hmm. is not as well known as sure. you know any other section of the Bible. Sure. Uh, but it was a lot of research, and one of the great things I feel like about being in seminary at the same time that I was working on the book was, um, since I knew that the book was kind of going, like I was trying to make the best use of my time. So when I took the class on the Pentateuch, you know, I made my paper for class about one of the things that was going to be a book chapter. And when I wrote my paper on the Jeremiah seminar that I took, I did it on the passage related to feasting and smart. Luke 14 chapter was like started off as a term paper. So like, mm. for as much as I could, I tried to make my papers for class. Yeah. Um, relate to the book, the chapters of the book. That, it's so good because I, I do sense 
like the flow in your in your book. Um, I think obviously everything's connected uh, with the theme of feasting, but it, it seems as if you're you are walking through each one, and you can <laughs> sense that they are connected. Um, I want to go through some of my favorite ones, uh, but before we get there, why? What what does a book on feasting necessarily have to say to us today when people have experienced things like isolation, um, sickness, death, and you know they're like a war, right? Yeah. Like what what does feasting have to do? What can feasting say to us right now in such I I would say different times than what we think of when we think yeah. of having a feast. It's interesting because a lot of the chapters touch on various aspects of that. Like, um, what does feasting have to say about war? Like, depending on the person experiencing the war, the um, wedding supper of the lamb could be great encouragement to keep going in the middle mm. of persecution. Mm. Uh, the chapter on ruin reversed, actually, um, the one it's about the exile. Mm -hmm. I, I started writing that ironically at the beginning of um, the pandemic. Mm. That was the first chapter that I wrote mm. as I was writing about exile in the Bible. Um, people's weddings were being canceled. Mm -hmm. Old people were dying. Children were being called back from school to study at home. And there was all of this overlap in imagery between um, exile and what was sort of going on in my lived experience. Right. And I was filled with so much hope that like God can restore things mm. and things that are ruined, like that ruin is never the final state for the Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was able to take hope in that. Um, the chapter on David um, in the wilderness and that experience being reversed, I feel like could be great consolation for someone who's isolated, whether they're isolated from others or isolated from God, just knowing that he's present. Yeah. Um, I think one of the underlying things that I, I realized as I was researching this book, and one of the things I was hoping would come across is that God is present with us, whether mm -hmm. we're um, on a battlefield, whether we um, have sinned and are afraid to return home, or whether, um, I mean, like, regardless of what it is, if we feel like we're in captivity, if we feel like justice won't come, like any of these things that God is present with us and that he sees all of those things and that his, uh, he has unlimited resources, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the hard thing goes away mm, mm, um, mm. He's with us. Yeah. Um, that is that means a lot more than we think it means. It's not the pet answer that we, that we, that comes immediately to mind mm -hmm. people who've grown up in the church, I think so. Uh, this is a message that we need to hear. You're absolutely right. God is, God is with us. And I, 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 I think it does come off in your book. Um, I think you did a great job explaining that and, and writing it out. Um, one of the, my favorite chapters that stood out to me was a chapter on Psalm 23, obviously a really beloved Psalm. Um, but you don't focus necessarily on uh, the beginning of that psalm where the Lord is my shepherd. You, you go into the later part of the song where it says, you prepare a table before me. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that and how, what, what your thought process was behind that, writing that chapter? That was one of my favorites. Yeah, so very um, shortly into writing the chapter, I regretted including it in the book. <laughs> I thought 
everybody is familiar with this and um, what I'm going to say isn't maybe what everybody is familiar with hearing. They'll be like, oh, but I want to hear about the shepherd and the right and all of that. Yeah. Um, and so it felt kind of intimidating to include it in the book, but talk about the later part. Uh, so I think one of the things that was really exciting about writing that chapter is thinking about how we define victory and what we think it means and what it means from a, um, like a biblical perspective. And even though Psalm 23, depending on your hermeneutic, is or is not about Jesus, like thinking about Christ as the model for victory, mm. what that means for us. And so a lot of it is um, a sense of peace that we get knowing that God is with us in our battles, mm. knowing that we don't fight our battles the way that the world does. Mm. Um, and that this that victory for us, if we're walking with Christ, often looks like the same kind of victory that he that he won, and that didn't look like a victory to many people. Mm -hmm. um, so, seeing the value and and knowing that um, we can be victorious even when to the world it looks like we're losing or falling behind. Mm. One portion of that chapter that say that that I say or I argue that the the battle is over our trust not that through trust we win but that mm. like the point is to trust God and take him at his word and, yes. and that he is real and true and can do the things that he says he can do um and I think that that is a really important piece like we think you know if I believe that that God can do it he'll do it or that like as long as I believe I can get the outcome I want. Hmm. Belief itself is something that is underappreciated. And so that's something that I wanted to come through as a victorious moment that like when we take God at his word and believe that he's able, that we've, that we've won. So. Yeah. So good. Yeah. It, it, it definitely different than what the world perceives as victory and how fitting that, um, that we're talking about this Palm Sunday with, with Good Friday and Easter coming up. Um, I want to fast forward to, I guess, near the end of your book, um uh the chapter from revelation and the marriage supper of the lamb um to me this was a beautiful chapter kind of tying everything together and looking forward to that to that day um what what moved you exactly to 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 point towards there i mean did you did you see your book you know heading heading in that direction um yeah i felt and, like it has to end here <laughs> yeah yeah and uh what is your time in asia and i guess your heart for the nations have to play in, in writing this chapter as well. Yeah, so it's interesting. The reason that I'm in the same time zone as you is I was here for a wedding. Mm. And um, my I have an Indian American friend and she got married. And I tell you what, man, there's I feel like there's no wedding like an Indian. <laughs> it's been the most wonderful, like, joyous celebration. And I kept thinking about that chapter and about how much we have to look forward to and how much joy there is and even as exciting as this weekend has been that like the reunion to come is going to be so much more mm. so much more than um, anything that I could even imagine but part of the reason part of what I was looking forward to about writing that chapter was the nod to the nations because mm -hmm. obviously that's an important part of my story yeah um, and I wanted to show that it wasn't something that um, 
that's an afterthought, but that it's something that's sort of built into the story of redemption from the beginning. Yes. Um, and I also um, really wanted to speak to, I mean, I, I lived and I, and I worked in China mm -hmm. and um, I met Christians there who um, had never been able to worship out loud freely and mm. um, who had, whose faith could bring persecution, like real persecution, not a loss of privilege like we often think of in the United States, mm. actual persecution. And I mean, even though my book is in English, um, and so there might, you know, Chinese Christians may never read my book. Um, I did think that it was worth showing even for those Christians in the United States who are experiencing a hard time or who are growing weary. Um, I think I described it as being um, one leg in a long relay. Like mm, mm, mm. even if we don't see uh, the end result of all it is that we hope and work for, that like we're part of a larger story of Christians who've endured and um, the endurance is possible through the message of that book. Yeah. So. What a beautiful picture, and um, I, I look forward to that day. Man, Alicia, thank you so much for, for writing this book, um, and thank you for, for talking to me about some of your process and just um, your thoughts behind it. Uh, I, I really hope that a lot of people pick this up, and who knows? Maybe we'll get translated into Chinese or something, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Alicia. Um, I, I hope that you have a safe trip back, and... Um, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. 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 Bye.